Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can check us out on the web at hillsideassembly.org. You're about to hear a message from our current message series, and I hope you open your heart and mind to hear a word from God today. great to be in the house of God this morning. Uh, I'm so excited to see all of you. I missed you so much last week, uh, and I want to thank you so much for praying for me. Uh, if you don't know, um, I, I had gotten a Hep B, Hep v vaccine, Hep B vaccine uh, to be able to go to Kenya this summer, and it was my first round of that, and I had a very bad reaction to that. So I've been down for almost a week. Uh, but feeling much better. So thank you all for your prayers. If you're visiting this morning, welcome to Hillside. We're going to have a great worship experience today. I'm the lead pastor here. My name is Eric, and we're so excited that you've joined us today. Uh, if you're a guest here present in our building today, we'd love for you to stop by our table in the foyer before you leave. We've got some great gifts, and we'd love to connect with you at the end of our worship experience today. We're excited about what God's doing. There's a lot of great things going on, and one of the things I love about our church is we're prepping people for me to watch the service, and I'm nominal. On off campus today, Mike and Nancy Nichols are preaching the Word of God in Grisham, Wisconsin, so excited for them to be there. We've got our college students that are actually in the skies flying right now to New Orleans to spend this week over spring break serving the community of New Orleans in some amazing ways and sharing the gospel uh, with people on the streets of New Orleans, so be praying for our college students. Um, and we've got some other great information to pass along with you today. If you're watching online, you can find out more about our church at hillsideassembly.org. Now, I've got a couple of announcements for you. Uh, Jeb's not with us today because he's traveling. Did you know this? Jeb is traveling right now with one of our missionaries across Wisconsin, Iowa, and North Dakota. Uh, so last week I got a call from a pastor and he's like, hey, Jeb was in my church last Sunday. It was phenomenal because he's doing interviews with one of our missionaries, Marianne Adams. So Jeb will return, but he is traveling abroad, which is exciting. So I'm going to do announcements today and we want to start off talking about this. Obviously the last uh, several weeks we know about the crisis going on in Ukraine, uh, all the different refugees that are coming out of there. Well, the Assemblies of God has mobilized and this morning, we're going to allow you to give to a special offering uh, for Convoy of Hope uh, and their ministry partners. So anything that you give towards a special offering today for Ukraine will go to Convoy of Hope. They will delegate that out to their ministry partners already on the ground. It'll be purchasing things like medical supplies, um, things like cots um, to help people sleep, uh, food, water, those kind of resources, as well as sharing the gospel on the ground with some of those people uh, getting out of Ukraine. And so that's what that offering will go towards today. Uh, we're not going to take up a separate time in service, but what you can do is you can give at the end of service. We have a box in our foyer where you, we give our regular tithes and offerings. Just mark, mark on your memo for Ukraine, 
We'll make sure it goes there. And the same goes for online. You can give online anytime at hillsideassembly.org. And again, just mark in the memo uh, for Ukraine, and we'll make sure it goes to Ukraine. Now, last Sunday was Mission Sunday. We always like to take the first Sunday of the month and emphasize missions. Obviously, we weren't able to do that last week, but I'd like to share with you a video today about missions. And for us to remember, we want to prioritize giving to our missionary partners. They're on the front lines doing great works for God, and we need to be there to support them. So let's roll that video this morning. The gospel you see is fundamentally an announcement about what Jesus has done for us that is a call for a response of repentance and belief. This is a gospel about individuals created in the image of God just like you and me. There are 6,536 unreached people groups with no access to the gospel. I don't want you to hear that as a statistic, by the way. Those aren't numbers. Those are individuals, just like you and me. We have the same needs, wants, hurts, and desires that you and I have. These people are somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's child, somebody's brother, somebody's sister. They're made the image of God just like you and me. Where would you be without Jesus? The answer is you'd be in exactly the place that 2.6 billion people are without you and me. The message of the gospel is that Christ has satisfied the full wrath of God against our sin. And he has done so for the peoples of every nation on earth. But it does them no good if they never hear about it. If you have experienced the gospel, there's no way that you can look at a world that is headed to hell and not care, not move, and not offer your life and say, God, here am I, send me. Send me. Send me. Send me. I think that auto prioritizing missions as a church, which will start off on Saturday, March 26th at 6.30 p.m. We'll, all weekend long, we will have incredible uh, missionary partners and ministry partners and opportunities. Starting on Saturday, March 26th at 6.30 p.m., we'll have Dr. Paul and Rosemary Nelson with us. They'll be sharing about Kenya. Uh, I was supposed to be a part of that trip. Obviously won't be, but we're going to have hear their heartbeat, talk about how we can be uh, help be a part of that great ministry in Kenya. On Sunday, March 27th at 9 a.m., Brandon and Rachel Powell, ministry partners to Thailand, are going to be with us. In that nine o'clock hour, they're going to be sharing an update with you where they're at with Thailand and some exciting things happening in their life. And then Brandon will also be sharing at 10 a.m. for our faith, prom- our faith promise worship experience, which will take up uh, opportunity for you to make a pledge towards missions. Uh, and I believe we can do more for missions than ever before in that service. We're also going to have some great mission opportunities that we're going to talk about, how you can get involved just not financially, but how you can get involved actually working in the mission field here locally, uh, right in our own community. Uh, and we'll have some other things that we'll be sharing as well, as, long, as well as having a few people who are planning to go on missions trip this summer share about what they're headed to uh, as well. So a great opportunity. Who's excited about missions convention? Oh, you better be because your pastor is excited about it. 
Maybe not quite as exciting. The following weeks, we've got some other things coming up as well. We're shooting right now for Saturday, April 9th to have a cleanup day here at church. Several different projects inside and outdoors. We'll have some signups here in the next week or two that you can sign up for a different area if you'd like to be a part of that. From 9 a.m. to noon, three hours. If we all come together and do that, it's going to make short work of a lot of projects that we can knock off uh, the books and get ready for Easter, which I'm also very excited about because our Easter worship experience kicks off a whole week of great worship experiences, starting on Palm Sunday, April 10th at 10 a.m., then we'll have a Good Friday service at 6.30 p.m., and then Easter morning on April 17th, and the whole theme is Witness His Resurrection. These are going to be powerful worship experiences. Our team is prepping for this right now. They're going to be great, and we have cards available for you for both our missions convention and Easter services. If you'd like to invite people to come to those, they're available in our foyer today. Of course, we'll have that information on our Facebook page and webpage here this week. Well, who's ready to worship God today? Because we talked a lot about what's coming in the future, but right now today, God wants to touch your heart in an incredible way. So would you stand to your feet, because we're about to engage God in worship today. In fact, today's message uh, is revolved around this theme, re-engage. Maybe all week long, you have had a tough week, a week where you feel exhausted. You've given everything you have. It's not gone the way that you wanted. Maybe you feel out of breath. Maybe you're just, you're just overwhelmingly exhausted this morning because you lost that hour of sleep. But you know what? Yeah. We've got an opportunity right now to re-engage with God. And it's a choice we make in our heart and in our mind. And God is here this morning. Jesus is here to engage with you. Will you choose to engage with him? Lord, we thank you this morning. God, to gather together on this campus, in this house of worship, to lift your name, God, that you would resonate inside these vessels today. God, we want to connect with you. And we know you have a word for us that's coming up. We want to prep our heart to till the soil, to prepare to hear that word that will impact our life today. Lord, we don't want to leave this place the same way we came in. God, change and transform lives in this place. Lord, accept our worship from our heart as we lift our voices to sing praises to you. We give you praise, glory, and honor, and God's people said, Amen. Robbie, lead us in worship this morning. Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. When we trust God, he strengthens us. And why does he do that? Everlasting God. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever.
Let's sing it again. Strength will rise. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. God, you reign in this place. Our hope, our strong I am you, you say. 
tough week or a tough month, maybe just a, a bad hair day morning, you know what? I'm glad that it's not us who makes the call. And at times, I know life, God has a call for your life this morning. Are you ready to hear from God today? Would you do this? Would you be seated this morning? And I, I know Jeb's not here live, but I think we've got something that recorded that he wants to say to our kids right now. Do you know what time it is? It's time for the AG Express Kids Ministry. So at this time, if all the kiddos can get up on their feet and head to the back door with Miss Jackie, we're gonna have a great time down in Kids Church. Let's go! They are off and running. I'm excited to bring the Word of God to you today. Uh, it's gonna be a little bit different today. Uh, you know, normally I like to take a passage of Scripture, break it down, and, and there's a lot of meat on what we're talking about today, but really it revolves around one point, and that's this re-engagement with God. And so uh, let's get into it today. Does anybody have a favorite decade here this morning? People like nobody wants to admit it. 
I, I know how it is. Look, I, 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 there's a lot of things in the past that I, I cherish and I like. Uh, 20s and 30s, man, some of the music that came out of that, I just I, I really love. Uh, but for me, I, I'm a child of the 80s, born in 78, but my childhood was in the 80s. And so when I think back of the 80s, I mean, some of the movies that came out, still some of my favorites today, some of the music uh, still holds great memories for me. And so I, I want to flash back to the 80s with a movie reference to start this morning. Uh, and back in the 80s, a lot of different movie franchises were taken off, but one particular, Top Gun, all right? Uh, grew up in the military. My, my uh, biological dad was in the Army. Uh, my stepdad was in the Air Force, and so uh, always been keen on the Air Force, and so I had to see Top Gun. And uh, if you've never seen the movie, it's okay. I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of, of what takes place. It's a fictional event movie, uh, but it's, the movie takes place talking about uh, Navy and operators in the Navy, specifically uh, pilots in Rio, because they were F-14 Tomcat. I think we had a picture of one of those. Is a Navy, a, a r- actual real Navy airplane that we use, uh, and there's two people that that uh, are in that aircraft, both a pilot and a Rio, which a Rio is your radio intercept officer. The movie takes place talking about one pilot in particular, Maverick, and his Rio named Goose. That was their call signs. I don't know why you'd have the call sign named Goose. I'd want something a little more intimidating, uh, but that's just me. Uh, and this takes place talking about the Navy's F-14 Tomcat. These two individuals are uh, elite, uh, part of an elite Navy training program called Top Gun. So they go to this uh, training facility. In the midst of the movie, an incident occurs. They have to eject out of their F-14, and Goose dies. And through the, the length of this movie, the pilot, Maverick, is dealing with this brokenness and wondering if he still has what it takes to be a combat pilot in the Navy. And as the movie kind of begins to wrap up, they're sent, to, uh, they're sent back to their positions. The Top Gun school is over, and he's given a new Rio. Uh, they take off, and there's a combat scenario in which they have to fight these Russian MiGs. And in this, this scene, Maverick freaks out in the cockpit, and, and, and he pulls off of his, co-pi- or his, his wingman, and he doesn't want to engage the enemy because he's having this moment where he's freaking out. And you hear everybody on the comms all saying the same thing, Maverick, re-engage, re-engage, re-engage. And they're all urging him to re-engage. And finally, there's this moment where you can almost see it in his eyes, where he builds up the courage and the bravery to re-engage the enemy. And of course, you know, being an 80s movie, he comes out on top, right? Um, and they, and they, then they fly off into the sunset. But I want to I take a moment. We all have to have moments, tragedy strikes, where the unexpected, we all experience loss and sometimes unexpected loss. We get the wind knocked out of our sails. We have times where we feel confused, discouraged, and even depressed. And we have to take a moment to stir up the brave inside of us, to have this courageous moment to re-engage in life. Because when we have these moments, they affect so much of us that they can affect our relationships. They can affect our, our, our work, our careers. They can affect our relationship with God. And if we choose to not re-engage, those things will begin to fall apart. Obviously, the most important is for us to engage with God or re-engage with God. 
If you were with us, I want to talk just for a moment about being brave. Uh, two Wednesdays ago, I, I taught on this very thing. I've also been going through it online. So if you've been following us on Facebook, we went through brave together. But really quick, the, the word brave, if you take each letter and you break it out to its own word, to have something, an aspect for us to, to be brave. The first one is to breathe. I think the moments where we get the wind knocked out of it is the moment we need oxygen, right? And, and it's hard when you get the wind knocked out of you. It's hard when you're facing things that are difficult and challenging and frustrating and depressing. And sometimes you want to get angry and sometimes we want to respond and have these knee-jerk responses to things that happen at our workplace or in our community or in our families. But I think the first thing that we have to do to be brave is we've got to breathe. Before we respond, before we say something dumb, let's take a moment and just take a breath. In Jewish culture, when they say the name of God, Yahweh, they actually talk about it in, in relationship to breathing. They're like, when you, when you say the name Yahweh, it's like you're breathing in the name of God. Yahweh. What if we just took a moment and just breathe to be brave? The R stands for remember, because if you're a follower of Christ for any length of time, you have this, you can remember God has done something for you before. Because God's brought me through some really tough times, some really difficult transitions in my life. I need to remember what God did. And if you look back in the past, the Old Testament is full of these opportunities where God did something for his people. And what did they do? They celebrated and they built an altar. And while it was for that moment, the altar also serves as something that transcends time. So that generations that would come later, they, there would be people who could point back and say, remember when God did this for us. And so as you're going through a new tragedy, a new challenge in your life, remember what God's already done, that he's brought you through. And look, he, God is infinitely creative. Jesus never seemed to do the same thing twice the same way. So I'm, I'm not saying that God will do the exact same thing for you, but I'm saying God will be faithful to you. So let's be faithful to God. Let's remember where he's brought us. The A in brave is ask, A-S-K. I know that seems like really fundamental, like, but it's true. We need to ask God for his help. And look, I know a lot, a lot of times we get stuck in this routine of thinking that our prayers need to be this, this huge, amazing thing that have all of these Christianese words in them. You know what God's after? He's not after your eloquence and speech. He's after your heart. And God wants you to just ask, Lord, please help me with fill in the blank. I mean, that's just real. God wants a people that are real. So we ask for his help. The V in brave is for visualize. You know, I, I probably don't have enough water here. You probably wouldn't be able to see it. But if I spun this enough, right, it creates that tornado. I don't know. Maybe you guys all had baths as kids. I know, like showers is a new thing, but baths as kids. When you pull the drain, isn't there that point where the water begins to circle down the drain? And if we don't ever visualize an end to the situation that we're in, what happens is, is we lose hope and we begin to spiral down the drain. God wants us to visualize that there's going to become a point when I get out of here. Or and we've got to have those. It's dark. It's completely dark. You can't tell if your hand is, is a foot in front of you or 100 feet in front of you. But as you go through a tunnel, there's a point where you start to see light in the distance, and it starts off with a, just a, a, a pinhole of light. But as you travel closer to it, what happens? It gets broader and broader and broader until you're in the daylight. you got to visualize that there's light at the end of your tunnel this morning. 
And finally, the E in brave is for elevate. And that's why we're here this morning. See, the reason that, that we, we have a problem so much of the time with our situations as we face is all we can see is what's right in front of us. That's human perspective. If I took you outside, put you in front of this tree line, all you could see is the trees. You can kind of see a few things beyond, but not much. But if we were to get a lift or a helicopter and put you, let's say, put you 300 feet in the air, your vision radically changes because we've elevated your vision. When we spend time with God's people, when we spend time in God's presence, when we spend time in worship, it elevates, hopefully, our spiritual vision to go, it's not just about the moment I'm living in. God's using the moment I'm living in to do something greater in and through me. And that's why we have to elevate. We want to see things from God's perspective. Because we tend to, we have a perspective that goes, it's all about me. It's all about my moment right now. But God has a vision that's far greater than that. The world doesn't revolve around us as individuals. The universe revolves around Jesus Christ. And that's a totally different perspective. And the only way we can get there is if we spend some time elevating ourselves in his presence. So two quick things I want to share with you out of the Bible. We've been in the book of Mark. We're getting back to that. We've been in Mark chapter 14 for a long time. But I want to go back there one last time. In Mark chapter 14, we see that Peter denies Christ. We've talked about this. We went through messages talking about the series of mistakes that led up to this moment of failure. We spent a lot of time talking about this. But the one thing that I want you to take away is not so much Peter's failure, but what he did after he failed. He re-engaged in a moment where everything fell apart, when he has this confrontation with Christ, not with words, but with sight. And Jesus sees Peter in that court, court area, and, and their eyes meet. There is a moment of brokenness that comes over Peter when he realizes the words that Jesus had said to him so often before that, and he realizes, I'm in the moment of failure. I'm in the moment of crisis. But instead of running away, Peter runs back to the disciples. He goes back to the people of God and he re-engages. It's not till some time later, days later, where there is an opportunity to be face-to-face -face with Christ after his resurrection on that beachfront when they're cooking fish and eating breakfast, that he is reinstated by Christ. But Peter was there because he chose to re-engage. He could have said, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done hanging out with these people. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not going to hang out with these people anymore. I'm done. I'm done hanging on to God. Everything's falling apart. But instead, he reengaged. He held in there. And the moment came for his healing because he chose to reengage. We can look at another passage of scripture with Elijah. And I'm going to be quick here as we talk about Elijah. There's three characters in the passage that I'm going to share with you. There's Elijah, who is the prophet. Consider him the modern-day evangelist. He's the one preaching God's word to people in a very hopeless situation because the culture has definitely taken a down, downward spin. You have Ahab, who's the current king. He's one in a line of increasingly evil kings in Israel's history. King Ahab uh, was confronted by the prophet Elijah, who warned Ahab of coming judgment if he did not obey the Lord. Ahab, on the other hand, blamed Elijah for bringing all this trouble on Israel. So conflict. Jezebel, she's devoted the worship of man to be falsely charged and executed. She is a bad mamma jamma. 
So let's get into the story today about this. I'm just going to kind of recap it for you here. After Israel had gone, uh, gone more than three years without rain, as judgment for their idolatry, the prophet Elijah confronts the evil king Ahab and challenges him to a spiritual showdown. The Western music plays. Uh, the king has, you can laugh at that. It was funny. I worked all week on that, and you guys can't laugh, man. All right. The king, uh, the king was to have uh, all Israel gather at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of, uh, of the false god Baal and 400 prophets of the false god Asherah. By the way, if you ever do a, seri- or a study on these false gods and how they worship, it's some crazy, messed up stuff. It, it, these people were crazy nuts. Um, on Mount Carmel, Elijah said to the people of Israel, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. The people remained noncommittal at this point. Elijah then challenged the prophets of Baal or Baal to prepare a bull as an offering to their God. Elijah would do the same with this one catch. They could not light the fire on the altar. The God who answered with fire from the sky would be considered the true God. Found in verse 22 through 25 of uh, uh, 1 Kings 18. The people agreed that this was a good plan, and the prophets of Baal went first. The pagan prophets cried out and danced around the altar from morning till noon with no answer from Baal. Elijah began to mock them, saying, Shout louder, surely he... He, he, surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in sleep or deep in thought. Maybe he's busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So the prophets of Baal shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. Despite hours of effort, nothing happened, because you've got to have more than just effort. The historian's, uh, comment, the, the historian's commentary hints at the emphasis of Baal's worship. There was no response, no answer. No one paid attention. There was no answer to the craziness that they were doing. Elijah then called the people to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. He used 12 stones and dug a trench around the altar, then placed wood on the altar and laid the cut pieces of the bull on it. Elijah then had the people douse the altar with 12 large jars of water. The water soaked the sacrifice and the wood and filled the trench. This thing was not going to get lit unless God lit it. Once the sacrifice was ready, Elijah prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are a God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you are Lord, that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then God said, then God did what Baal could never do. The fire of the Lord fell from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and also licked up the water in the trench. God does it right, right? He's not half-hearted. He does the whole thing. The people of Israel bowed down and declared the Lord, the Lord as God. Elijah then commanded his people and commanded his people to put the prophets of Baal to death in keeping with God's commandments found in Exodus 22.20. Following this event, the Lord finally ended the drought and sent rain upon the land. Wow, this is an amazing story. 
Um, phenomenal, absolutely great. But I want to continue on with the story and see where Elijah's heart is at after this tremendous victory. So we're looking at 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. I think we have these scriptures done to say, may the gods like that of one of them. In other words, you're a dead man. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid. The brother just prayed and God shot fire down from heaven to light up this fire. The people of Israel's heart are turning towards God, this tremendous victory. But Elijah is afraid because of the words of a woman. I'm not saying it could have been a man. I'm not, you know, there's nothing going on there. I'm just, I'm just saying words from a person brought up fear in the heart of a man of God. That's not a light thing to walk away from. That's a big point today. When he, this is Elijah. When he came to uh, Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The brother is exhausted. He's exhausted. He's hungry. So God starts by giving him some resources. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Harab, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. His statement is filled with partial truths. I'm the only one left. That's not a true statement. There were other people left. He also left out the fact that the people's hearts had begun to be turned by the events that happened on Mount Carmel. He left that out. But in the moment, he couldn't see those things because all he could see was the crisis where he was, right? His vision is blocked because he hasn't been elevated in a time with God. But what's about to take place is an opportunity of worship for him where he would be elevated. His vision would be changed. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. For the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to read the rest of the story, but you can do that. But the one thing I want you to take away from this passage, and there's a lot of meat here that we're not touching on today. There's a lot we could unpack here. But Elijah goes from a victory, an external victory, to internal defeat. And I think for a lot of us, we can put on the church mask and we come in and we say we're fine. God's good all the time. And we say all these phrases, and it's not that they're not true, right? But inside, there's a mess going on. 
And you kind of wonder, how can, how can Elijah go from the maybe, the maybe single greatest moment in biblical history up to this point, right? This incredible showdown, this moment of victory where God comes through and does something great, yet internally he is absolutely bottomed out and discouraged, all because of one voice, one thing that was spoken. And can I tell you, I can relate. I go back and I look at our history together over the past. You know that it's just, I'll be like, people will get saved. We have prayer times. People got healed. I mean, we can have all these moments. But then I go back and it's like moments later, hours later, it's when I'm home, when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, that the enemy will speak in my life. Or somebody even here at church will say something, not even knowing. Like, like they weren't even trying to be mean, but they'll say something and, this, and, and the, the devil will twist it in my mind. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm a horrible pastor because I didn't do this one thing, because I didn't see this one thing, and that begins to overwhelm my mind. And I've got to choose in that moment. Am I going to re-engage with God, and am I going to stand up for what God is speaking, or am I going to let the words of man decimate the victory that God just built in my life? And I'm saying that to you, not because it's something special for me, because I know the exact same thing happens for you. The exact same thing. But we've got to choose to be brave and re-engage with God, which brings us to the highlight of today. I'm going to stop preaching because I want to do an interview with some people from our church. So I'm going to ask Katie Schultz if she would come and join me at this time on the platform. And you know what? And for sake of time, uh, John and Chris, you want to just join us too? Uh, We're going to interview these guys because we're going to talk about some things that have happened uh, over the last six years plus for you guys and the road and the journey that you've been on. And a lot of you have no idea about the journey that this family has been on, uh, the ups and the downs. And so we just want to share a little bit with from their story and about the opportunities that they had to engage and re-engage with God and some of the defeats that we're, that we're dealing with, but through it all, how God has brought it to victory. Um, and so really exciting. So Katie, why don't you start off? Tell us a little bit about yourself this morning. So, hi, I'm Katie Schultz, um, and I'm 23, um, and here are my parents. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 23. I wish I was that young again. (laughs) Boy, let me tell you, to be 23 again. Um, So, Katie, uh, when did you start coming to Hillside Assembly, and how did that happen? Yeah, so my parents have gone here um, since, what, like 1995. So, I was born... Um, in 1998, and so I've been here all my life, and I've loved it. It's been such a great place to be, really. So, John and Chris, how did you guys start coming to the church? Because now, like, Katie was kind of born into this deal. <laughs> yeah. So how did you guys come to the church? Uh, actually, we were not even dating yet, but um, I, I have a brother that lives out uh, by La Crosse, and I would frequently go see him. And on my way, I would go through Ripon, and I just saw the church. And uh, at that time, I was in transition. I was looking for a church. So I just thought I'd, I'd give, uh, give it a try. And from there on, it Well, something good must have happened because you, yeah. you guys have been here a long time now. And John serves on our church board. Uh, and so I, I love working with him and Chris on several different things, and Katie as well. Um, so Katie, uh, several years ago, over six years ago, um, 
you ended up getting a diagnosis that really changed your life. Yeah. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about how, first off, how, what led up to that diagnosis? Because I, I think it was a thing where you, you don't normally just walk into the doctor's office and they go, hey, I got bad news yeah. for you. But what was happening that led to this diagnosis and what was that diagnosis? Yeah, so in 2015, I was a junior in high school at the time and um, I was really involved in like athletics and I was just feeling super tired, I remember. Um, but I really didn't think anything of it because I had a pretty heavy course load and I was really involved in like sports and stuff. Um, but then I noticed that my eyes were, my skin was starting to turn like a yellow color. Um, and so I was like, okay, something's going on here. Um, and so we decided to go and get some, go to my primary care doctor and get some lab work done. And um, they found that there was potentially some liver damage going on. Um, and so I had a MRI uh, tumor on my liver, basically to my liver, and so causing a lot of um, my blocking blood flow basically to my liver, and so that's why I was turning yellow. Um, and so um, they weren't sure what it was, um, so I was referred to the Children's Hospital in Wisconsin for uh, more specialized care. And so uh, when I we got there, um, they did further tests, and they couldn't figure out what it was, but they strongly suspected it was uh, cancerous. It was a cholangiocarcinoma, it's called. Uh, which is a very rare cancer with a very poor prognosis um, because it was in the exact location of what this sort of cancer um, is. So um, they they didn't know, they still weren't sure, so they decided to do a like an exploratory surgery to confirm that diagnosis. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what was happening at that time. So right up to this point, just share with me what were you thinking? Um, what were your thoughts? What were you, what were you thinking of, to God? I yeah. mean, what what was going through your mind? It was such a surreal experience. I feel like I, I mean, going from fairly healthy, being very involved in school and athletics and all of this stuff, to just feeling facing the very real possibility of death and um, that it wasn't looking good. That it looked like this super rare cancer that has like I think they said like fifteen percent chance of know, surviving from. Um, so going from that was very scary, obviously. It was terrifying. Um, and of course, I was worried about my parents. And I think the biggest question in my mind was, why, God, why is this happening to me? <laughs> um, and so I think I was, it was, was very faith challenging. It was, it was very faith challenging. Um, and, but I think I remember most of all at that time, just being so grateful too, though, for such a prayerful support system and even at my worst moments, how they continually reminded me where to keep my eyes on in the midst of some really difficult times um, during that time. So, and John and Chris, what what, what went through you your mind as this all was well, beginning to play out? I I knew it wasn't going to be good when she came in and she was crying. The lady telling the us doctor. this, doctor telling us this. I'm like, what's going on here? It was like I can't believe this. What it was kind of crazy, and like, I, so we, I said, John was real sick at the time, and he was laying on the couch and trying to get over being sick, and I said, you're going to have to sit up for this one. This is not good, and um, we explained what was going on, and um, we, we basically just had to, um, 
okay, what do we do next? What do we do? We, had, we went into like survival mode. It's, we got to do, what do we got to do next? And, and it was, um, it was, it was a long process. I know we say all this, but for months we, they kept telling us, multiple people were telling us, this doesn't look good. This doesn't, and they were trying to go about it the least invasive way of finding out what it was before the exploratory surgery. So it, we had to deal with this. I remember hearing, we were upstairs and John and I were talking and, and we could hear Katie crying downstairs in her bed. And, and I'm gonna try, I got my Kleenex, I'm gonna try not to cry, but that, those were real, where the rubber meets the road times where like you're faced with, this doesn't look good. What do we do with that? And so we only did what we knew we had to do was to go to God. And we did what we were supposed to. We kept doing what the, the whatever step we had to do next, we did. But it was crazy times. Yeah, that kind of news is, is just, you don't know what the, I mean, when, when it, she first told me about it, I was just, I was in shock. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. I mean, like she's life, uh, I, know, I mean, you know, she's uh, shocked. I just couldn't, I was overwhelmed with all mm -hmm. the, you know, and I, I just uh, was trying to take it all in. I understand what was happening. So at this point, things don't look good. Mm -hmm. Katie, walk us through the next part of this story and what began to, to happen. Yeah, so like you said, it didn't look good. Um, so they proceeded with that exploratory surgery to confirm that diagnosis, basically, of cancer. Um, and so we had that, I had that surgery to basically investigate it. Um, and. They found out after that that it actually wasn't cancer. It was something called a pseudotumor, which mimics cancer exactly on all diagnostic testing. Um, so it was just, it was crazy to hear that. Um, but then they found that my liver had been very damaged from this tumor and that um, because there was no blood flow to the, my liver, that it had been like 80% damaged and so that I would need a transplant at some point, a liver transplant. Um, so, And we started praying here at church mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. to happen. So you went on a waiting list. Yep. Yes. Uh, and if you're not familiar with this, the way this works is when you get called up, you, you don't. it's not optional. Like you drop everything you're doing <laughs> and you go. And so yes. six years ago this May, yes. you got the call. Uh, I remember getting a call from, I think Chris, it may have been you or John, I don't remember who, called me and said, hey, we got the call, we're going uh, I got to announce it that morning, uh, so that was really exciting here at church. And then following that, following uh, later that afternoon, we actually drove down to Children's Hospital and mm -hmm. got to meet with you, and I think there's a picture of my wife and you. There you are, and uh, getting ready for transplant, right? And so you've, you've been on this roller coaster, guys, I mean, of worst news possible to... Good news to now, you're on a transplant list, you're waiting, yeah. I mean, yeah. emotionally all over the place, and then here we are, the moments, right, like just hours before you yeah. would go into this surgery, so talk us through what happened yeah. then. Yeah, so at that point I had been, like Pastor said, I had been on the transplant list for about a year, um, and so actually I was feeling okay, they were kind of managing my symptoms, um, but yeah, so I think there was of course some hesitancy going into that, but uh Overall, I felt pretty peaceful going into that experience. Um, and so, yeah, I had the transplant that night. Um, yeah. And we, I wanted to say that 
that morning of it, they called us, and it, oh, it just, again, it was a roller coaster, because it was a ride I didn't really want to get on, by the way, <laughs> and it, but we, we did what we had to do. It, they called us, and they said, you know, you got to be here within two or three hours, mm -hmm. and this was in Milwaukee, and so I said, we got to get going, and, and Katie, I don't know if I should say this, yeah. but first thing she said, Mom, I, I don't feel like it's the time. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not the time? Get in the car, let's go. <laughs> we don't have a choice about this, you know. Uh, yeah. But it just makes yeah. you wonder about things. But mm -hmm. anyways, um, so we had gotten there, and it she had to have stents put in every eight to ten weeks. So we had to go to Milwaukee before that. To manage Just to keep the, yeah. the bile or bilirubin from toxic, making her system toxic. So it was a long road to get to that point. And then we got there, and yeah. it was... It was going at a million a, a miles very a minute. fast <laughs> pace. A very fast pace. Mm -hmm. So let's, we let's talk about the surgery. You had the mm -hmm. surgery, and then there were some complications. Yeah. Um, so I had the surgery, like I said, that night. And um, my uh, body started to react to the liver transplant by forming blood clots. Um, so obviously clotting is great when you're bleeding, but when you're not bleeding, it's, it's really bad. Um, so it was actually obstructing flow, blood flow to my new liver and now to my lungs. Um, and so I was placed on life support and, um, it was as soon as possible because the top of the list in the United States for mm -hmm. two weeks to, to live. It would last yeah. up to two weeks. So, so we had to. So yeah. Um, yeah. Now you, you take the picture before this and if you guys can bring that back. Getting ready to go into surgery. This next picture is probably 24 hours later. Mm -hmm. um, Non-responsive. Yeah. You can't talk. Uh, basically, coma, right? If I yeah. kind of... I was there keeping me, yeah, keeping me pretty sedated. And they usually keep people sedated when... And not yeah. to get too detailed, but because of her situation, they have... It doesn't show that, of course, there, but she came in flat, and they have a Gore-Tex over her incision, her incisions from here down and across, but it's a clear Gore-Tex, so we could actually see part of her organs in there, but um, it was very traumatic for, as a mom to see that and, to, and very vulnerable, uh, totally... It was... She wasn't... It was not good. It mm -hmm. was not good, and we were doing everything we could just to hold it together. John, what were, what were you thinking? I mean, what, what was going through your head? After, uh, after the liver failed um, that day, we actually got in the evening hours. The, uh, the doctor, not the one that performed the surgery, but his uh, assistant, he, uh, he was on the whiteboard showing uh, drawing this and uh, showing us all this stuff, you know, how, how the blockage, the blo uh, clots were affecting everything in the liver. And he was saying that, uh, yeah, it just doesn't look like she might make it through the night. And that, you know, <coughs> how do you react to that? I mean, so I remember that, that night, um, I couldn't stay in the room any longer. I went back to Ron McDonald House in our room and I, I just basically cried out to God, you know. Mm. It was hopelessness, you know. And um, I was reading in Psalm. I can't remember which one it was. 
that it was uh, talking about, uh, the psalmist was saying, I will trust in the Lord. And, and at that time, I was just so distraught that I thought, how can, how can I trust right now? But I remember <coughs> like a, a, a peace, and I felt loved, you know, come over me. And uh, God asked me a question. He said, uh, do you, are you going to trust me in this? Are you going to trust me no matter what happens? I just felt this love, and mm -hmm. I said, yes, I will trust. And I, I felt relief. You know, it wasn't over what we were going through, but I felt relief at that time. And when I went back to the room, I just felt uh, a lot better about the situation. When we came and we visited you, Katie, I know you're not going to remember this, but we came to visit you guys a couple times during that, that next week. And when you know someone that's going through this, you struggle too with what, what do you say? Um, and as your pastor, you know, I want to have these words of wisdom, you know? And it's like, I remember go driving there and praying. I'm like, Lord, I just need something to say. I need something because I don't know what to say. And we're praying, obviously, for the best results. But, you know, in, in my heart, I'm wrestling with these two things. I'm like, Lord, I don't know how you're going to move here. And, and we could see a miracle, or, or I could be prepping a funeral next week, and I don't want to come in and, and my words harm you guys, either set false expectations or, 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 or to be dismissive. And so there's this weight of the whole thing. And I, I think that we need to realize as we minister to others, Sometimes we don't have the words to say, but God asks us to sit in the room with somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, he we, had, we had more questions. We were, there was continually, as we walked through it, there was a peace, no matter what it was. It was like we had basically had our daughter up there on the altar, and, and we were giving her to God. And we had, to, we had to deal with whatever the outcome was going to be. But we had to come to a point that it was going to be okay, no matter what. Katie came to a point. It was at, at a point of that. Yeah. You want to say that? Yeah. yeah. So I was, I, I was like, I, like we said, I was pretty sedated. But I was aware of what was going on. Um, and I knew that I was dying. And I knew that my liver was failing. I just remember just being so tired and just go like throughout that week, just being so tired and fighting physically just to hold on to my body. It was kind of like a just like this battle between my my spirit and my flesh. And at the end of the week, I was just so tired, and I just remember just like praying in my heart. It probably wasn't very clear, but it was just like, you know, Lord, if you want me to stay here, then then and it's your will, then keep me here. But if I'm gonna come home to be home with you, then that's okay too, and you're still going to be good either way. Um, but yeah, it, it was, was it was hard. She came when I was there, and we're, I'm sitting by the bed, and she says that she says that, Mom, it would have been okay either way. And if you're if you're someone that's a part of you says that, that that puts you at a level that you never thought you would have to visit. When you know it's, I think that. I don't know. It's just. Yeah. So tell us, tell us how the story goes from there, because yeah. 
This, this, there is an upturn here, right. obviously. <laughs> right. So. Yes. Um, so um, I obviously got a transplant exactly a week later, um, which was a miracle in of itself because yes. lots of people die while waiting for transplants every day. Um, and so I did get that second transplant, and I was in the ICU for a couple more weeks just with recovering, and I continued to recover from there. Um, so, yeah. It was, it was like night and day after that first transplant, and then the second one, uh, the week later, she just, like, turned around, like, she's like, yeah, I'm ready, let's go, kind of. It was crazy of when you visit death's door, and then you're, then there's life. It was truly a miracle. It was truly a miracle from God. I remember before that point, just as I just wanted to touch on it, you know, John was talking about Psalms. I had reached another point. You know, we were very much together through all this, and we're a team, and but before we got to, there was, I went to the Ronald McDonald, because it was so exhausting, I'm telling you. It was a constant thing. I had laid down, and I just woke up, and as I was waking up, I was waking up to a vision, and I might have told some people this, but it was of a tree on a grassy hill, a huge tree on a grassy hill. And the first thing that came to my heart and mind was uh, rest, rest. And in Psalm 91, the Lord, it said Psalm 91, and I'm thinking it was some other verse, but I just want to say, uh, this is the only thing I wrote down, but um, 91.1, and I recommend anybody going through something to read Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord that he is my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I will trust. And that's whoever, and that's anybody that dwells in the shelter of the Most High. He will lift you up. So you just have to dwell and have peace in him. And I just thank God for his goodness. He's so good through all, whatever you're going through. might be the most horrible thing, but God is so good us through. Mom, and he's so good. I just don't want to forget that ever. Right. We're headed into the Easter season, and I mean, Katie, you experienced resurrection. I mean, really, you have a perspective that's very different, and you as parents, I mean, you, like you said, I mean, you went from this moment of hopelessness where you're seeing the insides of your daughter to a week later, this life, just renewed sense of life, and just how amazing uh, that is. And can we just take a minute and just give God some glory for that? Because that's incredible. Um, and he's faithful. And I, and I think, you know, as we were talking this morning, as I was preaching, you know, we remember that God's done stuff for us in the past. And, and I think the whole thing with this is we took all expectations off. We just said, God, just do something. Mm -hmm. Right, I think for you guys and for for us that were praying for you, it was just like, well, we don't even know how to pray, mm -hmm. but would you do something? And now, Katie, to see where you're at. So tell us what, what you're doing with your life now. Is there limitations that you still have? Is there medications that you have yeah. to take still? Yeah. Um, you know, I know for a while you, were, you had a really weak immune system, and we even changed how we do things <laughs> at church uh, to be able to have you here. But, you know, where are you at now in yeah. the road? So after transplant, recovery can be really long. Can, I didn't even feel like entirely myself again until probably like nine months later. Um, so yeah, when, when you have a transplant, your immune system, uh, tries to attack 
your new organ. Uh, it's just how your immune system is. It, I use it as an invader. Um, so yeah, I'm on a lot of medications to suppress my immune system. Um, and it was a lot at first. It was probably what, like it was fifty pills a day, fifty pills a day, or something like crazy, crazy like that. Yeah. Um, so now I'm on probably like twenty five pills a day. Like so, it's 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 still a lot, but it's better, and I don't have to, um, you know, be seen as often. I get, it's like an annual uh, visit. Lab work. <laughs> yeah, and lab work. So it's it's a lot. It's a lot more improved now than <laughs> it was at first. But yeah. And you, you've just finished up college, right? Yes, yeah. And what did you get your degree in? So I, um, I, I went, uh, went to nursing school, and I just graduated in December, and I passed my boards, and so now I'm a nurse. <laughs> and you just accepted a position? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm working in a med surge oncology unit, um, just caring for people after they um, go through cancer uh, surgeries and um, chemotherapy. So yeah, it's it's awesome. I love it. So this whole journey is over six years long, mm -hmm. and I think sometimes we sit and we're we're like we just want that moment in a service mm -hmm. where God does it right, instantaneous, and it's part of our culture. But six years, it's been a journey, and it's not over. There's more yet to come in your story, and we're excited to celebrate with you the next steps uh, <laughs> that God would have for you. But for all of you sitting there or watching at home today, your journey is not over in an instant. And God is, is writing a much longer tapestry tale uh, for you, for our church, for, for you guys as a family. Uh, so don't, don't get discouraged that your miracle hasn't taken place yet or you're in the middle of the fight because there is, there is something still yet to come. The journey isn't over and God's the one who has the last word. Uh, before we end our interview with you guys, just John and Chris, looking at your daughter now and the victories that she's had, what, what, what comes to mind? What would you say to Katie this morning, just your heart towards her? Well, I'm just so happy for her that, that you know, she's kind of living her dream now. She's, uh, you know, through all, everything she went through, she's been a trooper, and uh, she gives God the glory, as we do, and uh, she looks to the Lord for her help and her strength every day, so mm -hmm. we're just so proud of her. Couldn't be any prouder. Hey, can you guys just love on this family here? Is they're they're going to leave the platform and go back and back up. And, and Lord, I just want to thank as they were. Uh, Lord, we thank you, God, and we pray a blessing over Katie. Lord, as she continues her journey, and there will be other challenges ahead, but Lord, she is, she's built an altar to remember what you have done in her life. And Lord, the challenges that will come next may all, may all pale in comparison to what she's already been through. But Lord, we pray for great blessings for her and her medical career and the life that she has. The unexpected surprises that will come her way and hopefully some really good ones to celebrate. Uh, but Lord, we thank you for, for John and Chris as well and their family. Lord, that they walk through this very, very hard, difficult, challenging time and they made a choice to re-engage, to re-engage with you in moments where they could have walked away, when moments they could have, could have said, I just can't go on. They made a choice to re-engage with you. And God, you did some phenomenal things. Lord, we thank you for the amazing healing that's taken place and the continued blessing over this family. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We're about to go back into worship this morning. And maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you have, you've gotten the bad news. Maybe recently, or maybe it's, it's you're just starting the journey, or you're, you're halfway through, or maybe you've got a moment, you're, you're beginning to see the sunlight, and you're about to empty, or empty out of that, that tunnel and come into the light full-blown and a moment of victory. I don't, I don't know where everybody's at. But I do know this, that there's a calling from God this morning to engage with him. If you feel hopeless and out of breath and depressed like Elijah, maybe you're just praying that this would all end and and you could just go home. God's not done yet. If Elijah would have called it quits, he would have missed out on his greatest ministry, which, which was raising up the person that would replace him. Of all the things Elijah did for God, I truly believe that that's the one that he would highlight himself this morning if he were here. The opportunity to pour into the next generation. And it's not by by accident that Elisha, Elijah's replacement, would do twice as many miracles. And Elijah got to be a part of that story because he re-engaged with God. Your story isn't over, and the lives that you might impact could be huge, transformational in the kingdom of God. But you got to choose this morning to engage with God, to allow him to have his way in your life. I don't know how the story is going to be written. The only person who does is Jesus Christ. But he will walk beside you. And you can have a church family that will walk beside you through difficult and challenging times. We don't have to do it alone. So let's pray one more time before we go into worship and close our worship experience today. God, you know exactly where we're at. In the challenges in our life, whether they're health crisis or relational crisis or moments of frustration, things going on in our workplace or in our home or in our community. That God, there are things that sometimes are are things that messes that we've made by our own hand, like, like Peter, and we just seem to be compiling all these different, different bad choices that lead to a disaster. Maybe you're there this morning. Or maybe you're, you're like Elijah and you've been battling. You just came off a of victory, but you feel absolutely defeated. And maybe it's something totally in between. God wants you to know this morning he is for you. He wants to work in your life. He wants to draw you closer, to have you engage with him so that you can continue to develop in your journey with him, to grow spiritually. And God wants to do amazing miracles. If you need hope this morning, hope you. Except maybe the last. So Lord, whatever it is that we face in our lives and our families today, God, would you intervene? Would you step in? Would you do what only you can do? Would you take the mess and turn it to a miracle? If you believe that this morning, church, would you say amen? Amen. We're gonna worship together. We've got two more worship songs. We'll pray and dismiss, take up our offering here at the end. But I wanna encourage you, if you need prayer this morning, you just need someone to pray with you, just come up here to the platform, kneel, stand. Someone will come up to you and pray with you, whatever the need might be. You don't have to go through whatever you're going through alone this morning. God's people and God himself is here to be a blessing to you. Robin, would you lead us one last time this morning? 
come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God, just as I am. Praise God.
with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. That name is Jesus. Come on, sing it out. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living been here today, I hope that you took the opportunity to engage with him. What a, what a great worship experience today. As we get ready to, to wrap things up, uh, give you the opportunity to give of your tithes and offerings, please remember if you'd like to give uh, to the Ukraine offering to, to make uh, on a memo or on your check, right, how much that is for for Ukraine. You can give online, of course. Um, take advantage of that. Let's remember our missionary partners. Keep supporting them. They're on the front lines. We want them to feel like they've got the support, not only with our prayers, but with our finances as well to continue the mission that they're doing. And I leave you with one last challenge today. You've had an opportunity to engage with God and get filled up, to have a message of hope spoken to your life. Now, God needs you. That need encouragement that need Jesus and you are his representative that he is sending. He has chosen you to be a light in this world. Of all the craziness going on right now, Jesus says, I'm sending you. We've been praying a long time. God, save our community, save our schools, save our workplace, all these different things. And this morning, God responds by saying, look, it's you I'm sending. 
It's you, just like Elijah, just like Peter. Now it's your turn. And this afternoon, I believe you're going to have phenomenal ministry. I'm looking forward to the relationships I'm going to build and forge and the ministry that's going to take place this afternoon. And I hope that you are too. Let's pray over our offering as we dismiss today. God, thank you. God, for meeting us today, to giving us a message of hope, calling us to re-engage with you. And Lord, as we are being sent out to our community, our workplace, uh, to the workplace or to the, to the shopping place around us, God, we want to be prepped, prepared, filled with your Holy Spirit and ready to engage with our community because we've got good news. We've got a great message that Jesus died, but you didn't stay dead. You came back, you rose from the grave, and you have given hope and salvation to us. Let's take that message to the streets this week, to our workplace, to our family, to our neighborhood. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we pray over the offering for Ukraine and for our missionaries. God, we want this church to flourish. God, not, we're not looking for numbers, but we are looking for salvations. We are looking for transformation. And Lord, we pray, God, for our ministry partners this morning that are representative of your kingdom abroad, that, God, you would resource them in incredible ways. God, we pray for these people fleeing out of Ukraine, these countries that have opened their borders and embraced these refugees, that, God, you would have the support system, the resources available to feed, to house these individuals, especially the children. God, out of a generation that is growing up in war and turmoil, may there be a generation of peace that comes out of Ukraine, of strong and bold and exciting leaders that can say there's a better way. Lord, we thank you this morning, God, that you're still at work and doing many amazing things. We give you praise, glory, and honor till you bring us back together again. And God's people said, amen. Get out there, do the work of the kingdom.